Well, now that Derek has uh, let everybody in a little bit more on the circumstances around what has led to their desire to move away, I just want to pause right now and just as a church be praying for Derek and Taryn, especially for Leah, uh, just that, that God would heal her and give them direction. So let's just pause and, and let's pray as a church for the Flowers family right now. Lord, we thank you for Derek and Tara, for Jocelyn and for Leah. We thank you for their love for you. God, we thank you for their desire to serve you. And Lord, we know that will continue beyond Lakeside whenever it is you lead them on. Lord, we would pray right now, especially for Leah. We pray, God, that you would supernaturally heal her body. We pray that you would take this and she would be healed of it. But Lord, if you choose not to intervene in that manner, we pray that you would just surround them with the best team of doctors and specialists, that they would be able to manage her pain they would be able to guide her accordingly. Lord, we pray that whatever it is you're going to accomplish through her life, we pray that you would accomplish much for your glory through the life of Leah. God, we pray that you would guide the Flowers family and Lakeside through this transition for your glory. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was my first winter after learning how to drive, and I made it through. No accidents, no problems with the snow, no problems with the ice, and I felt really good about myself. And then I got to my second winter, and I made it through. No accidents, no problems with snow or ice, and then I made it to the third winter, and at this point in time, I was an expert. I knew exactly how to drive in, in harsh conditions. And so one night, there was a weather warning that told people, stay at home, there's going to be freezing rain, the roads are going to be incredibly slippery, just don't leave the house. And my parents were gone, so they couldn't stop me. And some friends and I decided it would be a great night to go out. And so we met at a restaurant, and it was. It was a phenomenal night to go out, because almost nobody was out that night, except for us. And so we had a lot of fun at the restaurant, and then I got back in my car, and I thought, man, I love winter weather warnings. Keeps all the weak people at home, all the people who are full of fear. They stay at home, and the experts like myself who know what we're doing, we can go out and we can, we can have a great time. And I started driving home, and everything was great until I got to a hill. And on top of a hill, I started to slide a little bit, and then I started to slide a lot. And my brakes didn't stop me, but the guardrail did, and I was fine. And I got out of my car, and the guardrail did a nice little number on the front end of my car as well. And I got back into my car, and I put it into reverse, and I hit the gas, and I wasn't going anywhere. The tires were just spinning. I looked at it, got out again, and I looked at it, and all of a sudden, on top of a hill, I see a massive truck. And you always hear about the trucks that, that fishtail, and they lose control going down a hill. And I saw this truck coming down the hill, and it didn't slide at all. It was perfect. And the truck, as it was driving by, saw me in the guardrail. And it, next thing I know, it pulls over to the side of the road. And out of this massive truck jumps out this just massively ripped gentleman who fit the truck. You know, sometimes you jump out and you're like, what? I didn't see that one coming. But this person fit the truck. And, and they looked at me and they said, do you need some help? And I said, that'd be great. He said, get in the car and put in neutral. And I said, all right, thinking maybe he was going to tow me out or something. He said, I'll push. And I'm like, the car with me in it? He's like, you just stay in the car. And uh, 
next thing I know, he pushes me off the guardrail, and he's telling me which way to turn, back onto the street. I put it in drive. He says, be careful out there. Watch the truck and make sure you make it home safe. I said, thank you. And I did. He was, he was the person I, I most hoped for. Like if there was any person that I could have hoped for in that encounter, it was this massively ripped gentleman who didn't want my help pushing a car, who didn't need my help pushing a car, was like, you just get in the car, let me do my thing, and single-handedly pushed me off the guardrail into the street and set me on my way. And we all reach times in our lives where we need the help of others. And this morning we're going to look at probably the most famous story Jesus ever told, where Jesus capitalizes on this universal human occurrence that we have all experienced and we've all felt of needing other people. So we're going to be looking today at the Good Samaritan. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store of your choosing. And once it's installed on your device, there's a feature within the Bible app called Events. There you can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201. And there, Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's a gospel, which means it is all about the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25 in just a minute. If you're joining us via the stream today, thank you so much for joining us. The verses will be available on the screen below as we look at probably the most famous story Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan. But before we launch into that, we're going to understand the context of why Jesus told this story. And that's what we discover in Luke chapter 10, starting verse 25, where we read this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is an insincere question. It's an insincere question with the intent the intent is just to trip up Jesus. This is a gotcha question. We understand these these happen a lot of times in our society. Sometimes after a horrible after a horrible game, a reporter will ask a coach a question that's meant to trip them up, meant to make them reveal something they don't want to reveal or meant to make them look confused and like they don't know what they're talking about. We see this all the time in politics. Every time there's there's a political race, there's always these, these people that try to ask these gotcha questions. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful it's election season. I don't know what I would do with my life if every 30 seconds I wasn't reminded that Tim Michaels is horrible and Mandela Barnes is a horrible person. I just don't know how I would go on living, but luckily it's election season, so I can think about how horrible they are every 30 seconds of my life, which is fantastic. But in, in politics, you see this. These are these gotcha questions. They're not real questions but they're meant to be asked just to trip somebody up, just to reveal something they don't want to be revealed, or just to see them make a mistake. And that's what the lawyer is doing here with Jesus. But what's fascinating is he asks a question that is universal in nature. Because while the intent of the question is insincere, the question itself is very sincere. It's a question that we all wrestle with. It's a question that we all want the answer to. Because out of, out of all the anxieties and out of all the fears that people encounter in their life, 
the greatest fear and the greatest anxiety is that of death. And so capitalizing on that, the lawyer asked Jesus this question. And Jesus responds in verse 26. Jesus said to the lawyer, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus returns the question right back to the lawyer. The lawyer asks the question of Jesus, and Jesus returns the question right back to the lawyer. And the lawyer answered in verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, the lawyer is quoting back answers that Jesus has already given throughout his ministry. This is an answer that Jesus has already given. And what does Jesus quote? Well, Jesus, Jesus quotes the greatest commandment, which is found in Deuteronomy 6.4. The greatest commandment found in Deuteronomy 6.4 is just this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That is the answer. That is the greatest commandment. And along with that, Jesus answers the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we live in a time where people are like, all I need is, is to be loving. Which in our society has meant I just accept everything and promote everything and applaud everything. And that is the very definition of love. And if you think what Jesus is conveying here when he talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, is just to go along with anything and celebrate everything in the name of love, you couldn't have missed the greatest commandment anymore. Because love of God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our might, requires us to elevate the things of God over the things of ourselves. It requires us to recognize that I have failed to live up to God's standard. I haven't measured up. And so it's not enough for me just to celebrate in everything love, and that's not at all what's being conveyed here. But true love of God compels me to analyze my life according to what God would have me do in my life and to recognize the areas where I don't measure up. And true love of God compels me to get to the point where I recognize I have a problem. Jesus, in his love for me, came and fulfilled the answer to my problem. He came to be the perfection that I could not be, where I am imperfect. He is perfect, and he made the way for me to have a restored relationship with him. And he said to him, Jesus said to the lawyer in verse 28, You have answered correctly. Do this and live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because God is the very essence of love. Scripture tells us that, that God is the very essence of love. And so God's desire for all of us, the will of God for our lives, is we would love him and love each other. Oftentimes people, when they're going into college, when, when sometimes after college, when they're bouncing between jobs, trying to find a career, trying to figure out, am I going to get married? What's my life going to look like? That's oftentimes a place in people's lives where they really wrestle with this idea of what does God want for my life? What's the purpose? What's the meaning? What's God's will for my life? And if you've ever wrestled with that, if you've ever struggled to answer that question for you, let me help you. Here's God's will for your life. To love God and love others. That's it. Love God and love others. And if this is where this encounter ended, how great would it be? The lawyer got it. 
Jesus was able to reveal some things to him. That's fantastic. But it's not. Verse 29, But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I mean, lawyer's going to lawyer, right? Lawyers are going to lawyer. This is the terms and conditions. Jesus has just said, you know, you got it right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of in the same process of the lawyer here thinking, well, wait a minute. How far does this extend? Because let's be honest. There are some people that we love to love. And then there are some people we don't want to love. And if this extends to my family, the people that live with me, I can do a pretty good job of that. Extends to the people that live on either side of my house. It's getting a little tougher. Getting a little tougher. But I live on an intersection, so I really only have like one other person that borders me. So a little better, I'll tell you, on the other side. But they're both fine. They're good people. That's fine. Jesus, do you mean my neighborhood? We got some crazy people in the hood. Like, does, <laughs> you mean that? I, I need to know. I need, I need to, these terms and conditions to be defined. How far are we going on this idea of a neighbor? How far does this love that you're telling me to give, how far does this have to extend? So Jesus tells a story. And Jesus replied, verse 30 tells us, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This is an outrageous scene. This should stir within us all feelings of rage and anger and injustice. An innocent person is on a trip and they are accosted and they are brutalized and they are victimized and they are beaten and they are robbed and they are left for dead. This should outrage us. And this is a scene that unfortunately isn't all that unfamiliar in our society. And I understand we live in very safe communities and we are blessed for that, but but just, just as personal concern, I just want to caution you. Make sure you are taking personal precautions in your life. Don't allow, you, don't allow yourself to let your guard down because of the safety of our relative communities. Be on guard. I'm not saying you have to be worrisome, but, but be on guard. Be cautious about your environments. Be cautious around your surroundings because the reality is there are evil people everywhere. There's evil everywhere. There are evil people everywhere. And so just make sure you're, you're being cautious. This is a scene that unfortunately we recognize in our society all too often. That someone who is minding their own business is victimized and brutalized and accosted. And it stirs up within us very big feelings as it should. This is an outrageous scene. Jesus continues. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
So you find yourself there in that situation where you have been victimized and brutalized. You're barely hanging on to your life. And the first person that comes by you is a priest, somebody who has dedicated their life to the study of Scripture and the service of others. In terms of your wishes, in terms of your prayers, you could not hope for or pray for a better person to come by you than this, someone who's familiarized themselves with what Scripture says and what God requires us to do. Somebody who's dedicated their life to serve other people. And here you are in the greatest moment of need in your life. And the priest is the first person that comes walking by. What is their response? They see the situation. And they cross the street and continue on their journey. A priest of all people does this. Goes to the other side and keeps moving. As people that follow Jesus, when God puts needs in our paths, when God puts needs in our paths, it is never acceptable for us. It is never acceptable for us to ignore the need and to continue on with our lives. When God puts needs in our lives, it is never acceptable for us to ignore the need that God has put right before us and just continue on with our life as though we didn't see anything, as though our lives should be completely unchanged in spite of the fact that God just put a need in front of, our, in front of us, in front of our lives. It is never acceptable for us to respond as though we didn't see the need. You might be like, well, that's kind of harsh, Brian, and you don't understand the situation and the circumstances, but it's not me saying that. It's Scripture. James 4, 17 tells us this, anyone who knows the good that they ought to do and fails to do it sins. Anyone who knows the good they ought to do and fails to do it sins. Sometimes we like to reduce sin in our mind to this list of things that God has forbidden. This list of things that God has, says, that God has said, don't do that. And anytime we do those things that God has forbidden, we are guilty of sin. But sin is much greater than that. James 4.17 tells us. That as people that follow Jesus, when there is a need that God puts in your path and you have that feeling on your heart that I've got to do something about the need, that is actually the Spirit of God convicting you and calling you to be active in that need. That God has placed you in that circumstance. God has placed you in that situation for a purpose. But God has also given us free will. So as people that follow him, he's given us the ability to reject that which he calls us to do and reject that which he has led us to do. But when we fail to act accordingly, we sin. Now make no mistake, this does not mean that every time you see a situation or a circumstance or a scenario, you have to just offer people money. A friend of mine's a pastor, and he's good friends with a, a detective in a narcotics unit. And after one of the drug busts of a, of a house, they went in and they found a book of about 50 pages of churches and nonprofits with a script because they discovered what need the person could say to that church or that nonprofit and how that church would respond in terms of finances and in terms of, of other gifts. 
God has given us the opportunity and the obligation to be wise. So this isn't a call that just because we see a situation that we have to respond in a certain way. But here's how we must react when God puts a situation in a circumstance in our life. We must at the very least stop and investigate it. It doesn't mean we always offer something. As a church, we don't. As a church, we investigate. And if the need's legitimate, we will do our best to help out. But we recognize there are evil people in this world. And even with our best investigation, we know sometimes we are going to be taken advantage of, but ultimately we're going to respond in the way that we can. And when we are wise about it and we see what we believe to be a legitimate need, it is our obligation to do something about it. But it is always our obligation, corporately as a church, individually as people, to at the very least stop and investigate and not cross the road and keep on going and act like we saw nothing. Because sometimes God puts us in the exact place to minister to people and to be an expression of love. Jesus continues, So likewise the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So the priest didn't, but... Like anything, they're going to be bad pastors. They're bad priests. doesn't mean they're all bad. Maybe it was just one. Here comes somebody that's just like the man who was beaten up. Another Jewish person. They have a lot in common. Here he comes. And what was the response? So likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Crosses over. Keeps going. Not impacted at all by the need in the scene right in front of him. But a Samaritan, as verse 33 starts, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. This scene goes from bad to worse. A priest goes by on the other side and keeps going. A Levite, somebody that's also Jewish, goes by on the other side of the street, keeps going. A Samaritan. The Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Samaritans were half Jewish. So there was racial tension between the Jews who were fully Jewish and the Samaritans who were half Jewish. Racial tensions. The two camps did not like each other. They did not get along. Oftentimes the Samaritans were not treated well by the people who were fully Jewish. And now, here comes a Samaritan on this scene where somebody who's fully Jewish is barely alive. They're beaten, they're victimized, and they are laying there. This is not good. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went on to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. The priest sees the need, he avoids it. 
The Levite sees the need, he avoids it. The Samaritan who did not like the Jews and the Jews who did not like the Samaritans sees the need, he stops, he bandages the wounds. He puts the man on his animal. He takes him to a hotel. He stays with him through the course of the night to make sure that he does not succumb to his injuries. He pays for the room. He pays for an additional stay and extends a line of credit to himself when he tells the innkeeper whatever it is he needs or he charges to the room. Let me know. And I will pay it back. This is over and above. And this is the response that we as people who love and follow Jesus should have when we see a need in front of us. How do we do this? I encourage you to do this this way. Make sure that you are the person that you wish you encountered in your time of need. Be the person you wish you encountered in your time of need. We all have been there and we all know what we hope for and what we dream of encountering when we find ourselves in the situation where we need someone else. And we all have that picture in mind. And the best way for us to live this out is for us to be the people that we hope we would encounter in our moments of need. Jesus hammers this point home. He asks, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? See, being a neighbor is about so much more than where you reside. Being a neighbor is about so much more than where you reside. And Jesus said, who's his neighbor? And here's the answer. Our neighbor is everyone we encounter. Everyone we encounter is our neighbor. lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. That's it. That's the assignment. The assignment for those of us that follow Jesus is very simply this. Go love everyone you encounter. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the assignment that God has given us. But before you try to find the loophole, because if you're like me right now, you're trying to find it. Because there are some people that you love to love. And there are some people that you don't want to encounter because you don't want to love them. So before you try to find the exception or protest or find the loophole or the asterisk, I just want you to know there's even more to this story. Luke records this story for us in Luke chapter 10. In Luke 9, starting in verse 51 to 56, we read this. 
when the, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. So did you catch this? The village that Jesus went to here in Luke, which is recorded for us in Luke chapter 9, Jesus goes to a village full of Samaritans, and they reject him. They push him out. They run him out of the village. They want nothing to do with Jesus. So much so that two of Jesus' best friends and his disciples, James and John, see what's going on. They see that this village has completely pushed Jesus away and rejected him. And they say, hey, Jesus, would you like us to call down fire from heaven and watch these people burn? Which some of you right now are like, What kind of people did Jesus encounter and associate himself with us? And others of us right now are like, thank you, God, that people like us are welcome in your kingdom because that's what I'm saying if I'm there. I'm like, let's just call down fire and watch them burn, Jesus. They pushed you away. Let's go. Jesus rebukes them. And in the next chapter, makes the people that pushed him away the heroes of his story. That's grace. That God sees us in the times of our lives where we want nothing to do with him. God sees us in those moments where we think, I don't need you, God. Truth be told, I don't even want you. At best, we keep him at arm's length. At worst, we actively push him away and say, God, I don't want to live for you. God, I want to do things my way. God, I'm going to do this on my own. And Maybe you're there right now. You're here today because a parent or a grandparent, maybe even a spouse brought you along. But the truth be told, if we could see your heart, you've got those arms up. I don't want to do it your way, God. I don't want you in my story. I want, to be the, I want to be the star of my own story. I want to do things my way. And for those that have pushed God out, for those that have run him out of your life, the same God you pushed away, lovingly invites you to enter into his story. In the same way that the Samaritans pushed him away only for the next chapter of Luke for them to be made the heroes of of Jesus' story. God is not done with you. God can see beyond your resistance. He can see beyond your rebellion. His love for you is unchanged. Because the reality is this. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more or make God love us less. 
And this is the beauty of grace. That our resistance is not going to define how God sees us, but that he loves us. So what do we do with all of this? Well, as people that love and follow Jesus, the challenge is that we have to be people, first and foremost, that love God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our might, and with all our strength. And we have to love everyone we encounter. That is God's desire for us. That is God's will for our life. And that is the people we must be as the people that follow after Jesus. And one of the ways that we can easily do that is every time we see a need, I'm not saying we have to intervene, but I am saying at the very least we stop and we investigate. That is required of us, that every time God puts a need in our path, we stop and we investigate and we see if this is an opportunity for us to be the love of Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us be people that love you with all that we are and love each other in that same way. I pray, God, that you would help us first and foremost follow after you and Lord, as we encounter needs, as we encounter opportunities, I pray, God, at the very least, we would be faithful to stop and investigate. That we would never be content to keep going through life as though we didn't see the need. But we would recognize, God, that there are times that you put us in the exact place, in the exact position to do something. But you've also given us free will. And so, God, I pray that we would be faithful in this. I pray for the person that's pushed you away, that wants to keep you at arm's length. And I pray, God, they would recognize even now that their resistance doesn't change your love. And God, that you would break through that resistance and they would experience once and for all what it means to have a relationship with you. I pray that Lakeside would be a place where we would love all that we encounter. And we would point people closer to you that we would love you first and foremost with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our might, with all our strength. We'd love our neighbor as ourselves. And God, that we would see lives and eternities transformed here as a result. Please use us, Jesus, and let it start with the way we love one another.